I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're feeling lonely and you're still searching for your true friends, just look up in the sky. Who knows? Maybe you're all looking at the same rainbow. Fission. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome to another episode of A Nuclear Reading Show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. If you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. And a little disclaimer, since the gangs can be a little bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro made My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the wasteland. Chapter 40, Sonic Radboom. Loss. The war had come with thunder and death, and all of the equestrian wasteland seemed in mourning. We were deep in our darkest hour, just praying for a ray of light. We had all suffered loss. My friends and I had lost one of our own, Steelhooves. He had finally found rest, finally been reunited with his beloved Applejack and their child in whatever life lies beyond this. 
but all I felt was the gaping wound of his absence. An abscess in the core of our party, aching and hollow, where steel hooves should have been. The spectre of his death hung over everything, casting each of our individual losses into even deeper shadow, making us all seem more vulnerable and fragile. I was struggling with the loss of my very self. I was not who I was anymore. Not Little Pip. I was an alien in my own body. A body warped into something entirely non-pony by taint. And I was a stranger in my own mind, not knowing the truth of the things I had done. Velvet's words had cut cruelly, not because she was cruel, but because she was right. The Balefire Bomb had been an atrocity. And yet, as Velvet Remedy had assured me, it had been a necessary thing to do. Without my memories, I didn't know if I'd simply never thought of the consequences, or if I had and went ahead anyway. Steelhooves had paid the price. He had lost his life because of what I had done. I knew I would never watch those memories. Well, maybe the eighth memory orb. My soul needed homage's every healing touch, but not the others. I didn't want to know how much I had realised. If I'd committed a holocaust, I couldn't bear it. It would be the final, fatal separation from self. Velvet Remedy was suffering a loss of faith. Velvet was hurting more deeply than the rest of us. The foundation of all that she was had been shattered. The wasteland was more cold and cruel and brutal than any pony should have to bear. Too much for a pony whose soul was one filled with kindness and caring for others. Whose core desire was to help, to heal, and to make things better. To her, it didn't matter if the hurting creature was a pony, a zebra, or a monster. Friend, stranger, or enemy, all worthy of the same compassion in Velvet Remedy's eyes. I remembered her considering a hellhound as a patient and easing the pain of a dying alicorn. Velvet Remedy had weathered all the equestrian wasteland had thrown at her, sometimes weakening, but never failing in her belief that helping others was the right course of action. And she had done so, fighting both the despair and ugliness of the wasteland and her own inner demons by clinging to the personal religion of Fluttershy. The kindness of the Mayor of Peace had been her anchor and her bulwark. Now the memories of Steelhooves had relieved the truth to Velvet Remedy, and that bulwark was shattered. She was drowning. Calamity was fighting against the loss of all he held dear, and he felt that he was losing that battle. Already, one of his friends was dead, and he could see those he held most dear, including the mare he loved, slipping away into their own darkness. And the horror that was playing against the backdrop of the end of the world, after meeting one of Calamity's brothers and seeing hints that the rest of his family were as bad or worse. I found Calamity's policy and his personal horror over Buckling Cross were brought into sharp focus. Calamity was my dearest friend, and I was only now beginning to understand and truly know him. Now the Enclave had descended upon us with Operation Cauterize. It was the one thing for Calamity to have rejected and left the Enclave, but it was quite another for him to witness the Enclave rise up as the greatest threat to Equestria. Like us, Applejack's rangers had lost Steelhooves. He'd been their elder and their centre, the figure around whom they had gathered. Now, the fledgling force for good faced a harrowing fight to survive. And it was not only us. All of the Equestrian Wasteland was suffering. With the destruction of Cantalot, 
the ponies of the wasteland had lost the greatest symbol of the fabled past of peace and tranquility that was the era before the war. It was as if the final strands of the past had been severed with the death of Steelhooves and the destruction of that city. The proof of what we had once been had carried with it the silent promise that we could, possibly, be that again. Now we were adrift in a sea of darkness. Within the same day, the wasteland had lost more than an icon. We had lost one of our greatest centres of pony kind within the bloody massacre at Friendship City. We had lost what little peace the wasteland had to offer. We had lost the assurance that even those living within the walls of a fortified city would live another day. All across Equestria, ponies mourned for the dead and feared for the living. As if these wounds were not deep enough, the ponies of the wasteland had lost the voice that called out to them in the darkness, bringing truth and hope. The voice of DJ Pone 3. But in this, at least, the loss was not absolute. Homage was out there, fighting back, and DJ Pone 3's voice would occasionally cry out within the darkness, bringing a flicker of light before it was silenced. And even our enemies had suffered a great loss. The Alicorns had lost their goddess, their guide and compass. They had lost the unity which connected them and gave them purpose. They had lost the constant voice in their heads to which they had been subservient. And even now, many were beginning to lose their minds. The Hellhounds, the most vicious and deadly of all monsters in the wasteland, had the heart of their civilization torn asunder, and the bulk of their kind annihilated in a single blast of necromantic green fire. Psychotically territorial, now they no longer had a home of their own. At the Enclave themselves, they had lost one of their leaders and a great many of their ponies in what was, to them, a cowardly and heinous terrorist attack. How much of their overkill was fueled by the rage and grief of a wounded nation? Operation Cauterize was costing them more than they were ready to lose. They had not anticipated the resistance they would encounter, either from without or within. Their victories had been ferric at best. The Pegasi were facing not only the loss of forces and possible defeat, but for many, a loss of ideology. And it only promised to get worse the longer they stayed here. Of all of those in the wasteland, perhaps only Red Eye had not suffered loss. But that would soon change. Loss. It doesn't bring out the best in us, or the worst, although it can do either. It doesn't show us who we truly are. It just hurts. And it makes us all the same. Even the most sadistic raider, immune to empathy, who draws joy and strength from the suffering of others, will fear grief over a loss they suffer themselves. In the black pit of loss, we all pray for light. Ditsy 2 exploded, and the explosion was massive. The centre of the explosion was a glorious greenish gold, so bright it seemed to sear my eyes, lingering in my vision long after I'd looked away. From the epicentre erupted a ring of spectral light, riding an enormous shockwave, rippling with strange colours like a toxic rainbow. The missiles chasing Ditsy Doo were bucked backwards, exploding in the air yards behind her. Molten payloads discharged in plumes of eldritch hellfire, burning the sky above and below Ditsy Doo. But even as they missed, the force of the twin detonations slammed into the ghoul like she was made of rags. Ditsy Doo's body somersaulted, peppered with shrapnel and plummeted, 
unconscious or dead, towards the ground. She was no longer glowing. But the bursts of fire and energy from the missiles were barely noticed in the fury of what Ditsy Doo had unleashed. The ear-splitting crack of her feet drowned out their pitiful explosions. The shockwave blasted through the air, tearing off roofing from the few buildings in New Appaloosa not made of train cars, scattered debris, and tore the enclave pegasi from the sky. Well, there's only one way to clear an area that big that fast. Calamity had told me what I had asked about removing part of the cloud curtain. And that's with a sonic rainbow. The realisation of what I was seeing struck me, half formed in my brain, as the shockwave knocked the four enclave raptors away from the city as the ring of unearthly light washed over them, tearing away their clouds. The raptors used clouds as integral components for their locks, their computers, structural elements, and the storm clouds that kept them aloft. The mighty enclave warships crumbled as they fell. Three crashed down just beyond the city's walls. The fourth was not pushed so far away, its corpse dropping towards homes and ponies below until a caramel-coloured field of levitation magic caught it and nudged it away just enough that it struck down on a durable assemblage of boxcars just left of Turnpike Tavern. Even as my mind was putting a name to what I was seeing, I lashed out with my magic, tossing a levitation net under Ditsy Doo's limp body, wrapping her in it. She was falling so fast I knew I would never be able to stop her from splashing against the ground, but I had to try. Two more levitation fields wrapped around my own, a powerful one of that familiar caramel colour, and a weak glow of palest silver. Even the three of us could not stop her fall, only slow her down just a little, just enough for Calamity to catch her. Even as Calamity burst through our levitation fields, four legs outstretched, the body of Ditsy Doo cradled within them, the shockwave reached the heavens, tearing open the sky. Sunlight, the purest and most brilliant light imaginable, illuminated New Appaloosa in a warm glow. It was as if Celestia herself had descended from the heavens and was giving the city a hug. Shimmering colours floated in the air, the heavy storm clouds releasing their moisture as they dissipated. My pip leg began to click with a gentle warning. The rainfall was irradiated, toxic. While I could not see it for myself, I knew how far Ditsidu's miracle had reached. Inside the walls of New Appaloosa, Zenith stood transfixed at the edge of a scrap metal walkway, the hood of her cloak down her eyes tilted upwards towards the wonder above us. She was too distracted by the marvel above to stop the little lavender filly, her newly grown horn glowing with a pale silver light as she dashed between the zebra's legs, galloping towards where Calamity was just now landing. But her ears caught the filly's cry. Mummy! Dictidu's sonic radiation boom did not stop at the edges of New Appaloosa. I spun, watching the expanding ring of Dictidu's explosion a rainbow of glorious and diseased colours tearing outward, riding the shockwave that carried dust and detritus with it like a storm. The sonic radiation boom blasted over the Everfree Forest, clearing the smoke and fanning the flames that didn't blow out. The shockwave rattled the windows of the cathedral. I'm sure that, in that moment, Red Eye paused to look up into the sky, realising something important had happened. The blast was felt in Ponyville, driving the beleaguered town's newest inhabitants underground. The toxic rainbow flashed over Splendid Valley, driving a great radioactive wind before it. The wash of strange light fanned out beneath the clouded sky. Looking up from the gravestone before which she was grieving, a charcoal-coated unicorn watched as the light mirrored across the lake behind Steelhoof's shack. The thundering crack of the sonic rad boom echoed through the grey canyons of the Manhattan ruins, 
staring at through his office of the window in Tempony Tower, a mottled brown unicorn with a scroll on his flank watched as sunlight spilled down on a town far, far away, the golden glow reflecting in his glasses. Even amongst the cold, windswept crags of Shattered Hoof Ridge, where the storm clouds were unleashing a flurry of summer snow, the glow of Dixie sonic radiation boom was visible on the monitors inside the base station at the Shattered Hoof Ridge Tower, lighting up part of the horizon in a pulse of weird luminescence. And just outside of town, this little unicorn mare with a pitbuck on her flank was finally feeling the pieces of the great puzzle slide into place in her head. I'd spent my life searching for who I was, trying to find meaning in my existence. As a filly, I yearned to discover my cutie mark, needing to know all that made me different and special, if anything at all. Outside, my search evolved into a quest to find my virtue, and ultimately my place in this vast and cruel wasteland. Now, in the light given to us by Ditsy Doo, I began to see. As each piece slid slowly into place, they began to reveal to me what I had spent my life longing for. Purpose. I levitated myself over the wall of New Appaloosa. I didn't care that I was banned from the city. Not now. Calamity had just landed inside, cradling Ditsy Doo. My heart was screaming. I didn't know if she was alive or dead. I had already lost steel hooves just two days ago. I didn't think I could bear to lose another friend. Not so soon. I landed on the puddle-covered ground inside and galloped towards where Calamity sat on the set of railroad tracks, bathed in sunlight, Dixie Doo's body resting in his forelegs. There was ichor bleeding from innumerable small wounds. Silverbell and Zenith were gathered close to him, and others were beginning to circle. If Railwright wanted to kick me out... Let him try. My heart was pounding as I reached Calamity, my eyes filling with tears as I watched the Pegasus ghoul, praying to Celestia and Luna for any sign of movement, of life. My mind flashed a velvet remedy holding steel hooves, and the sobs started. The rain out felt strange against my coat, but the warmth and true light of the sun was too majestic to take cover inside. My gaze drifted upwards to the crystalline blue of the hole above us, a yawning upness that went on forever. Unlike that starry night sky which I first glimpsed through breaks in the clouds on my first wasteland night, this sky was wonderful and embracing, inspiring none of the terror I had felt before. No. I whimpered softly to myself and to the goddesses. Please, no. She has to be alive. She has to see this. She deserves to see this. The ponies of New Appaloosa were coming out of the homes and shops where they had taken refuge. They were all staring up at the sky, seeing sunlight for the first time. Most seemed shell-shocked, but slowly many began to smile. A few specks of colour swirled through the bright blue above. Some began to drift downward, chasing each other. Pegasus ponies on the world above the cloud curtain, drawn by the phenomenon. What? What just happened? I heard a buck say somewhere to my left. I think Dixie Doo just saved us, a mare responded. I watched as Pegasi fly down towards New Appaloosa, hesitant and curious. The brightly coloured Pegasi didn't look like Enclave ponies. They didn't wear the dark colours of the Enclave, nor move like they intended to attack. They ain't bad ponies, little Pip. Calamity's voice whinnied in my memory. If most of the ponies up there suffer themselves what's going on down here, they buck the damn Enclave and pony up to hell. I thought so, I thought, my eyes falling back to Ditsy Doo. 
Silverbell had stepped forward and was nudging her gently, whimpering. Poke. Ow! Mummy? Oh, goddesses, please no. Behind me, a young cult's voice called out. Ma, did you see it? Did you see? Derpy saved us. And, and Derpy's hurt. I know, Trolley, the cult's mother said softly. I saw. She deserves to see this. I cried out in prayer, my vision blurring badly as Ditty Doo continued not to move. Please. A shift, a slight fluttering of her eyes. One rolled to meet Silverbell. Then Ditty Doo whispered something, almost unintelligible, but it sounded to me, despite her missing tongue, a lot like, Sorry, love. Mummy's sleepy. I collapsed, crying harder than ever, but now the sobs were of relief and of joy. She was still alive. Mummy! Silverbell jumped and hugged the echo-coated ghoul fiercely. Unable to lift her forehooves, the pegasus limply wrapped her wings around the rapturous filly. Mummy! The little unicorn gushed happily. You made everything so pretty! Sunlight poured over us, towards the horizon behind us. The toxic rainbow was breaking up and fading away. Silverbell had climbed up onto Ditsy Doo, her hooves slipping against the ichor bleeding out of the dying Pegasus's many wounds. I'd wrapped her in a magical cocoon and was floating both of them towards Ditsy Doo's store, where Pylite was perched just outside on a rain barrel. We just need to get her inside, I was thinking. Lay her down next to Pylite, find some bandages... There'll be bandages inside. There has to be. It's absolutely everything. I am sorry, Zenith was saying. I tried to keep her inside, but your daughter can be evasive. Are you coming home now, Mummy? Silverbell begged. Miss Zenith is okay, but she's not a mummy. The little filly lowered her voice, whispering into a ragged, ghoulish ear. And she's kind of creepy. Zenith's eyes widened just a moment and coated with steel as she gazed away. Silverbell's words becoming another brick in her conviction that she was unfit to be the mother of her own child. I winced a little. I knew how Silverbell melt no cruelty. I could only imagine how strange and remote Zenith had been. She was still wearing her zebra stealth cloak. I imagine she spent most of her time with the filly invisible to avoid trouble with the town's ponies. But those words had done damage nonetheless. Looking askance, Zenith offered... Have you considered training her in the Fallen Caesar style? I found myself wondering about Zenith's upbringing and her former tribe that her response to an evasive child was to suggest honing those natural talents with an art of killing and incapacitation. Datadoo dismissed the offer with a shake of her head and hugged Silverbell close again with her wings. My pit buck was still clicking, but I couldn't tell if the radiation was from the Pegasus ghoul or the puddles of irradiated water. I suspected that Ditsy was still shedding minor levels of radiation, even after the sonic rat boom, but not at levels which threatened the unicorn filly. Nothing that Radaway, bleh, wouldn't cure. And right now, they needed to be able to hold each other. The click-clicking jumped as Pylite landed on my head, unwilling to wait for us to get inside. The Balefire Phoenix began bathing the wounded ghoul in golden-green radiation. Nuh-uh, Silverbell insisted, responding to Zenith's offer. I'm going to be a painter, see? The lavender filly pointed. My eyes followed her hoof. One of the nearby boxcar houses had a crude but colourful portrait of New Appaloosa painted across it. The wall has a mural. 
I cantered in a circle, seeing New Appaloosa for the first time since my last visit. The painting was not alone. The child's paintings decorated many of the train cars around me, as well as barrels, carts and anything else the folk of New Appaloosa would allow Silverbell to beautify. I could see the progression of her skills from one storefront to the next. Between the sunlight and the colours of her paints, the town felt more inviting than any place in the wasteland. The light sparkled off the irradiated puddles. The warmth of the sun massaged me through my coat, and I could feel the bright rays touch my soul, the sunlight breaking through my defences, all the clouds of pain and loss that layered my heart. The breath of the sun rekindled hope, and made all the darkness of the day before seem bearable. My heart twinged, wishing Steelhoofs was here with us, wanting him to see this. A gruff-looking pony with a spiked mane and a cutie mark of his skull impaled on a bloody dagger galloped past me, a shotgun in his mouth. My gaze followed him as he reached one of the fallen enclave Pegasi. She was just starting to get back up when the buck reached her, rearing up and slamming his hooves into her head, driving her back against the ground. And stay down! The Pegasus's visor was broken and I could see her purple eyes staring upwards at him in shock. The buck levitated the shotgun at one of the Pegasus's wings, keeping a hoof on her head and an eye on her deadly tail. I heard a clatter of metal as other Pegasi and ominous black carapace armour emerged from a pile of rubble that ten minutes ago had been a tool shed. Shadows blocked the sunlight above me as three more enclave soldiers flew in over the wall and hovered overhead. All of New Appaloosa stood in silent awe of the sun. Foles and the elderly were stepping out of their homes to marvel at the sky. But the enclave Pegasi had lived above the clouds all their lives. They had grown numb to the warmth and the wonder of the sun, forgotten how to notice it. All they saw was the town that had once again struck them a devastating blow. This battle wasn't over. I crouched in the doorway of absolutely everything as beams of colorful light struck the doorframe and dissolved Ditsudu's front door into a mound of slag. The heat coming off the melting door seared my coat. Outside the door was chaos. We were fighting in the sunlight felt terribly wrong and disgraceful. The little pony in my head worried, hoping that the good ponies of the town would not come to associate something so generous as sunlight with the ugly hurt of battle. I fumbled telekinetically, trying to get my ear bloom into my ear as I fired back with little Macintosh. Applejack's trusty revolver was the only firearm I had left. I realised with a twinge of loss that both my sniper rifle and the zebra rifle were still sitting in a crate somewhere in Manhattan, but they hadn't been looted already. Mission objective has not changed. A stallion's voice boomed over the enclave's military frequency. I was almost certain it had to be coming from one of the downed raptors. New Appaloosa was being attacked by dozens of enclave soldiers rather than hundreds, suggesting that either the Pegasi and those raptors were trapped inside, or that beyond the city walls, the enclave was having internal struggles. We are here to disinfect Equestria of this terrorist encampment. Fly steady, soldiers. For the council... For the Enclave! The black-armoured Pegasus darted behind an overturned pedal trolley. One of my bullets splashed into a puddle behind her, another burying itself in the trolley's woodwork. The Pegasus flapped her wings, rising up to fire again. Dixie-Doo's griffin bodyguard had produced a lightning rifle and disappeared upstairs. Calamity was further inside the store along with Pylite, both tending to Dixie-Doo as Silverbell fetched medical supplies. I glanced back to see the lavender filly balanced precariously on several boxes as she tried to reach a key sitting on an upper shelf. I caught the filly and the key as the whole shelf came tumbling down, spilling cameras and teddy bears everywhere. Distracted, 
I gave the attacking Pegasus an easy shot, and she took it. I grunted in pain as part of my flank barding heated up, but the Cantalot police barding protected me from severe injury. White lightning arced out of a second floor window above me. The Pegasus mare screamed as she dropped. Her magically powered armor fried. The mare was probably still alive, but without its spell matrix, her armor was too heavy to move in. Beyond, I could see the bodies of the raid-like buck and the purple-eyed enclave Pegasus. They lay together, having traded lethal blows. Her purple eyes stared out lifelessly. His body was still impaled with the blade of her tail. Trolley, get inside now! The voice came from somewhere outside and to my left. I slipped out of the doorway, instantly alarmed. I'd seen too many foals die. The weight of the bottled ashes pressed against me through one of my saddlebags. I wouldn't let anything happen to that little colt. Trolley's mother, whose straw sun hat and floral dress was soaked with the radiated rain, stood protectively between her colt and one of the Enclave soldiers. She had no weapon, but she stood firm, shielding her colt as he leapt up from where he was cowering behind her legs and ran for the nearest open door. I took aim at the Pegasus as the magical energy weapons on the Enclave Buck's armor crackled. Please, can't I just go a day without having to kill another pony? The little pony in my head pleaded sadly with the wasteland. A streak of blue and white struck the ground between the mother and the buck, just as the Enclave soldier fired. The white Pegasus with a mane and tail in a multitude of blues had landed, facing the Enclave soldier, her mouth open. The sentence dying before it could be spoken as one of the beams of lethal energy struck her square in the breast, the other searing through the mother's sun hat and blasting it to ash. My shot staggered the Enclave Pegasus, one of the bullets piercing his armour, as the white Pegasus mare crumbled to the ground. From her distressed breathing, the shot had torn and possibly vaporised one of her lungs. I found myself calling out for Velvet Remedy before I remembered that she wasn't with us anymore. The Enclave Pegasus froze for a moment, staring at his visor at the mewling white Pegasus, stunned. Commander, we have citizens here! Another voice called out over the Enclave's military frequency. Suggest withdrawal for a shutterfly operation. I scrambled back behind cover, reloading little Macintosh as a familiar khaki-coated buck with a vanilla mane raced out of a nearby train car and fell to the side of the white Pegasus, one of the trio of young heroes who we'd met at Fluttershy's cottage. Somebody help me get her to candy! Sparks and the ring of metal on metal erupted across the Pegasus buck as he came under fire from the rooftop. I looked up to see a scarred, maneless mare in raider armour firing railroad spikes from what looked like a homemade steam-powered rifle. The town's mayor, Railwriter, taking cover behind an overturned workbench, a bundle of spikes between his teeth, prepared to reload. More voices poured out through my ear bloom. Meeting unexpected resistance. Not like previous encampments. There are foes here. Families. The Enclave soldier pivoted towards them, opening fire. A second black-armoured Pegasus swooped overhead, raining a cluster of magical energy grenades down on the mayor. I focused redirecting the grenades back up on the attacker, exploded in a frenzy of multicoloured light, ripping the Pegasus bomber apart in the air. Blood and entrails splattered down on Railright, and I felt nauseous. The bloody white intestines glistened in the sunlight. This is Commander Winter of the Raptor Nimbustratus. Remember, these are the terrorists who supplied Red Eye with the mega spell used to murder hundreds of Enclave citizens in their cowardly sneak attack. The unprovoked slaughter of Harbringer and so many of our brothers and sisters is a day that will forever burn in infamy. The voice on the Enclave command frequency growled. 
I was struck by the dichotomy between what they told their own soldiers and the propaganda they polluted the equestrian wasteland with, and their flagrant use of illegal and horrific warfare tactics today shall only strengthen our resolve. More of my cantaloupe police barding heated, the top layers melting as two magical energy bolts struck me. Another hit ditzy do's sign. Yes, I do deliveries. Obliterating her offer of free wasteland guides. Turning for the source of the attack, I spotted a pegasus in black armor landing on the balcony around Turnpike Tavern. Some pony else spotted her too. A green field of telekinetic energy wrapped around the pegasus, lifting her up and turning her around. The little pony in my head winced, realizing the unicorn's mistake a moment before the pegasus spread her wings and pushed herself out of the telekinetic sheath with a single flap. Spinning her about had merely helped the targeting spell in her armor locate and lock onto the offending new apolution. Even as my own targeting spell had locked onto her, the Pegasus vaporized the unicorn with a rapid-fire light show from her integrated magical energy minigun. I squeezed little Macintosh's trigger as quickly as I could. Several of the bullets were stopped by the Pegasus's black carapace, but one struck home in her wing. The Pegasus lost control of her flight, spinning wildly before crashing into the new Appolution crane with a sickening crunch. Fly steady! The enclave Pegasus rebounded from the metal neck of the crane and crashed into the ground below. My eyes travelled upwards along the crane to the platform it held, dangling high above the city. A platform stacked with railroad rails. Some pony else had had a similar idea. Caramel-coloured magic flashed across the bolts beneath one side of the platform and the chains snapped free. The platform swinging down and dumping the massive rails onto the Pegasus just as she was getting back to her hooves. The sound of all those heavy metal beams striking the ground and metal rolled across New Appaloosa like the percussion from Hell's own orchestra. I cringed away covering my ears. And do not forget that your actions here make your brothers and sisters, your families back home, safe once. Red, what are you- The transmission in my ear blooms suddenly went dead. Out of the corner of my eye, I spotted a unicorn mare weeping over a fallen guard buck. I saw her expression shift from inconsolable loss to red rage as an enclave soldier landed in the street nearby, nuzzling the unmoving body of another armored pegasus. I knew what was about to happen. My little pony cried out a warning that never made it to my own lips as the unicorn mare floated the dead buck's machine gun battle saddle into the air, took aim and fired. The first bullet struck true, puncturing the enclave soldier's metal armor and scrambling his insides. But the kick of the battle saddle knocked it out of the mare's magical hold, the gun spraying wildly, several bullets ripping through the poor unicorn herself. She stood, blood pouring down her side and her flank her eyes wide with a look of uncomprehending surprise. For at least three long seconds after the battle saddle had clattered to the ground behind her, and then she swayed and fell over the body of the guard buck she had been mourning, the life fleeing from her eyes. Death was breathing over New Appaloosa. The Grim Reaper ponies were having a feast. Stop it! Calamity cried out shooting through the doorway past me as two more enclave soldiers flew over, firing swathes of burning plasma into the streets below, drawn out by the screams of ponies burning alive in agony. Calamity's voice was filled with rage and sorrow, sounding heartbreakingly fragile as he bellowed, STOP KILLING PONIES! Horrified, I commanded my targeting spell to ignore hostiles, and instead start locking onto friendly targets. The ponies in the plasma fires could not be saved, and I couldn't bear to let them suffer. I wished Velvet Remedy was here. Yunta anesthetic spell. 
but all I could offer were bullets. My targeting spell allowed me to aim perfectly through the flames, one shot each to the head. It was a mercy, and I hated myself for it. I felt like my coat was writhing, wanting to crawl off my body in disgust. Attention, Enclave personnel! A new mess voice burst into my ear as the Enclave military frequency crackled to life once again. This is Acting Commander Red Glare of the Raptor Nimbostratus. Commander Winters has been relieved of his command. As of this moment, you take your orders from me. The fury of the battle waned a moment, many Enclave soldiers pausing to listen and reload. The battle is over. I am invoking the Shutterflight Protocol. All Enclave forces are to withdraw immediately and assist. And just like that, it was over. The Enclave soldiers stopped, turned their heads to the sunny blue of the sky above, and then, almost as one, flew upwards and away from us, like demons fleeing hell. It took the ponies of New Appaloosa several minutes to stop firing at them, but the Pegasi were fast, and all but one had managed to get out of range before the townsfolk could strike them down from below. That single mare came pirouetting downwards like a falling shadow. She hit a rain barrel, smashing it, her blood tinting the irradiated water as it rushed away from her. I fell against the doorway, my strength leaving me. My revulsion and horror gave way to a numbness that felt even worse. Beneath that numbness, I realised I was shaking. Dictidu had saved New Appaloosa. Without her, this town would be nothing but a smoking crater. But all around me, the dead and the crying drove home that this victory was not without grievous loss. I watched Calamity land next to the fallen white Pegasus with the fantastic blue hair. Her side was rising and falling. She was struggling to breathe, but alive. As I watched, I noticed that she wore a belt strap with a pitbuck dangling from it. It was locked closed, undoubtedly taken from the corpse of a previous owner. Unable to open it and wear it herself, she had slung it over her like it was a canteen. Calamity helped the khaki pony slide her onto a piece of sheet metal and carry her towards Candy's clinic. There were several more ponies converging on the same building. Candy had already run out of room inside and was directing every pony to line up the wounded on the porch surrounding her clinic. I shifted my gaze away, looking into the darkness of absolutely everything. Dixie Griffin bodyguard was still perched in the upstairs window, watching the ascending pegasi like a hawk, or, well, a griffin. Alarm shot through me as I realised no pony was tending to Dixie Doo. I could see her in the back, illuminated by Pylite's glow, unmoving. Unmoving is okay, right? The little pony in my head asked frantically. It doesn't mean anything. Ghouls don't move much. Steel hooves would stand still for hours. Goddesses, steel hooves. Silverbell was sitting beside the ghoul's cot, the Belfar Phoenix wrapped in her forelegs. The little pony in my head stopped crying over my lost ranger long enough to wince, remembering just how unhealthy that was for the filly. I prayed to the goddesses that Dixie Doo hadn't lost her entire supply of Radaway when her delivery wagon was annihilated. I tried to pull myself to my hooves, intending to gallop over them, but my legs refused to bear my weight. I glanced at the medical display in my EFS, believing I hadn't been wounded that badly in the battle. My armour had protected me, yes, but I was exhausted, emotionally brutalised, and I hadn't slept since the funeral. The light of the sun was the only thing giving me the spiritual strength and energy to keep going, and even that had been spoiled. And then that light began to dim. I shifted my gaze towards the skies. 
Far above, the enclave Pegasi was zooming back and forth across the circle of blue above us, drawing parallel lines of clouds across the opening. Strangely, I remembered an odd story about skaters scoring the ice during winter wrap-up. But then, as the thin lines of clouds began to thicken, expanding towards each other, filling the gaps of blue in between, I realised it looked a lot more like some pony slowly closing the blinds over a window. The Pegasi were once again locking up the sun. Shutterflight. My thoughts felt warm and melancholy and slightly fuzzy, like the little teddy bears that I wanted to hug as I went to sleep. Medical treatment at Candy's was one part butterscotch rum. Calamity had found me collapsed in the doorway, trying to worm my way towards Ditsy Doo, and had insisted on hauling me to the clinic. I had protested. I wasn't wounded enough to warrant taking attention away from the other ponies, but I hadn't needed to worry. I had been given a cot about half a block from the overfilled clinic, been stripped of my barding, I'd been given a canteen of healing that smelled strongly of butterscotch. The sounds of moans and crying drifted over me like layers of smoke. The air smelled of alcohol, blood and burned flesh. In the cot next to me was an elderly green earth pony. He had stepped outside to see the sun, only to have his hind leg melted. Candy was telling his plaintive grandchildren that their grandpappy was in a deep sleep and might not wake up again for a long time. The young filly wrapped her forelegs around the slightly younger colt and held him as she broke into sobs. I wanted to sob too. For steel hooves, for velvet, for the little filly whose ashes I kept in a jar. For Ditsy Doo, even though I still had hope that she would survive this. And for all of those that did not. But I couldn't. I was too tired to cry, and there were still too many ponies around. The little pony in my head told me that my pain, my grieving was a private thing. I could cry with Calamity, or with homage, but not here in front of all these ponies. Calamity laid down next to me, staring into the dirt, his hat tilted sadly. He wasn't crying, not externally at least, but my friend couldn't hide his pain. My heart reached out for him in a way my legs refused to. We'll fix this. Calamity stirred. He didn't look at me. Instead, he looked towards the row of pony-shaped lumps under stained sheets. You can't fix dead. His voice was flat, defeated. I wanted to bury my head, hide away from that voice. My mind conjured the image of Steelhooves walking solemnly amongst the sheet-covered bodies, bearing solemn witness to the fallen. He should be here, my little pony mourned. Then my cruel imagination envisioned Steelhooves as one of the bodies under those sheets. I choked on a breath and had to look away. I gazed over at Candy, my eyes tracing the white earth pony in her yellow and pink striped nurse's dress. I'd fancied her once, and she was indeed fancyable, but now only regretted that she was not Velvet Remedy, whose skills here were badly needed. Or homage. That was a selfish wish, but I allowed myself to have it anyway. Homage could heal and comfort me, far more than a canteen of weak healing mixtures and rum. Amage was my son. Her mere presence could warm me. Her soft words would banish the dark shadows in my head, her tongue licking me down to... My thoughts were interrupted by the approach of Railright. The grey and black stallion was accompanied by the bald, scarred mare I'd seen him with before. Her radar armour revealed just enough to make out her cutie mark, a black, needle-like dagger dripping blood. My eyes narrowed. You gave Red-Eye the Balefire Bomb! 
I spat as he approached me. He opened his muzzle to try to proclaim something. His muzzle snapped shut abruptly. The air between us felt brittle and charged with tense, unseen energy. Calamity stood up, levelling a dark look at the mayor pony. The bald pony cut in, either oblivious to the discord between myself and the mayor, or unable to give a shit. Well, I get you now, she announced. Oh, it's damn good to be a goddess damned heroine for once. Fight on the side of the angels and all that. Who the hell are you? I groused. She looked like a raider. Sounded like one too. Stiletto. She grinned savagely. Shadowed of raiders. Although, I guess we ain't raiders no more. We're protecting the waste for fun and profit. Gord's ponies. Shattertooth was hiring out mercenaries. Meshed with the spike-maned pony I had seen earlier and Dixie-Doo's griffin bodyguard. Last I knew, Gord had been consolidating her forces, but also contemplating what to do with the bad eggs amongst them. Maybe this was her solution for those ex-raiders not vile or untrustworthy enough to meet her talons, but still undesirable to have around the house. And you blew it up for him, Rayerite said stonily. He threatened a marsh with that bomb, I hissed, and then realising the name meant nothing to him. He threatened all of Tempony Tower, thousands of ponies. Your actions put me in a rather tight spot. I needed to show Red Eye that New Appaloosa weren't against him. Railright glowered a moment before glancing around. Besides, would you have preferred we keep an undetonated balefire bomb sitting here in town? No pony would do that. I'd be insane. I felt my nerves jangle with energy. Despite my exhaustion, it was taking extreme effort. Be pleasant. Not to put a hoof through his face. Besides, it would seem y'all are working for Red Eye anyway. Red Eye whispered. The stallion smiled oddly. From wiping out his slavers to wiping out his enemies. I couldn't have seen that coming. Extreme effort. Calamity bristled, neighing warningly. And he seems to have plans for you. Stiletto had apparently grown bored. She trotted away, sitting down and sharpening the spikes on her armour, her eyes watching the skies. What do you mean? I asked, not sure if I wanted the answer. Railright shrugged. Not sure, but I've come to tell you that y'all are welcome back in New Appaloosa. He told me. No point keeping you out when Red Eye considers you an asset. Not to mention how unpopular that decision has made me amongst the DJ Pwn3 loving herd. Railright grumbled. I'm rather lucky to still be the mayor. Stiletto clopped and poked the mayor with a forehoof. Griffin's inbound. Looks like a big boss. I turned towards the sky. The cloud cover had been completely restored. With over a hundred Pegasi working on it, the breach had been sealed in under half an hour, casting the wasteland once again into heavy gloom. A far-off flash lit up the undersides of the storm clouds, echoed by a second flash a little closer. This flash illuminated a flock of griffins, two smaller ones flanking the flock leader as she guided them towards New Appaloosa. Heavy raindrops began to fall. Cold, clean water sprinkled from the blackened clouds above. Raindrops rippled the surface of the irradiated puddles, broadening and diluting them. The soft metallic clatter as the rain beat upon all the metal boxcars sounded like funeral drums. The rainstorm that the sky had been threatening began slowly, but soon Candy was corralling every volunteer she could to move the wounded inside before they were completely soaked. Calamity moved to one end of my cot, and then stopped, glowering at Railwright and Stiletto. 
Wania is going to grab the other end and help me take her into absolutely everything, or so help me. Yeah, yeah. Stiletto quipped before picking up the opposite end in her teeth. You're a tough buck. Very impressed and shit. Shaken, even. I wasn't alone in my trip to Ditsy's. Absolutely everything had one of the larger interiors in New Appaloosa, and over half a dozen cots were floated, carried, or dragged inside within minutes. Well, that was an anti-shortcut. I mumbled as my cot was placed near the doorway to Ditsy Doo's room. The ghoul didn't look like she had moved. Silverbell was curled up on top of her, sleeping fitfully. An empty packet of Radway lay on the floor beneath them, a little bit of the glowing juice dribbling from the sleeping filly's muzzle. Otherwise, Pylite's radioactive glow ensured that Ditsy Doo had the room to herself. Is she going to be okay? I asked Pylite. I was surrounded by ponies, and yet there was no one else to ask. Zenith had disappeared again. The softly going bird hooted gently. Once more, I wished Velvet Remedy was here. I wasn't sure she would be any better with Ghoul's physiology, but at least she could interpret Pylite's musical notes for me. I felt a hoof punch my shoulder. Why didn't you tell us who you were? I turned to see the Amber Mare and the Khaki Buck who we had helped back at Fluttershy's cottage. The attacking hoof was from the Mare, who managed to both look starstruck and cross at the same time. I found myself blushing, and the little pony in my head quickly insisted the extra heat in my cheeks was from the rum, and definitely not from embarrassment or being hit by a pretty mare. Oh, yeah, that canteen. I should drink more now. Easier than responding. Yep. I was gushing all about the waste on heroin, and you were right there and you didn't say anything. The mare protested. Was she mad at me? I'm not... I tried to argue. I mean, I'm just trying to do the right thing, like any pony would. Oh, yes, the mare chimed, rolling her eyes. Like any pony would. Just because any pony would risk their life trotting into the home of the most dangerous monsters in Equestria to set off a balefire bomb and clear them out. She smirked. My eyes widened. My muscles stiffened in alarm. What? How? You know? But... I felt my words stumbling over each other. Of course every pony knew. DJ Pwn3 had seen to that. But that wasn't something I should be praised for. Yeah, the buck added. Well, I see it. You can't have an undetonated megaspell bomb in the wasteland without some evil asshole using it to murder a fuckload of ponies. I flinched. But not only did you get rid of it so it couldn't be used to hurt any pony, but you wiped out what? Hundreds? Thousands of monsters that hunt ponies for sport. His voice oozed sarcasm as he added, just like any pony would have done. My mind reeled. I felt as if my world had been nudged off axis. I felt messed up. The memory of what I had done merged into a vision of Steelhoof standing on erupting ground and the slashing claws that tore through his armour, severing his neck. A stallion three cots away from me woke up and began to scream, thrashing violently. Two bucks moved over to hold him down while Calamity pulled painkillers from Ditsy Doo's stock, tossing bottle caps on her counter. Beneath the stallion's screams, I heard Mayor Railwright announcing that Ditsy Doo's medical stock was being confiscated for emergency use. The little pony in my head stopped at that. I couldn't imagine any pony, much less sweet Ditsy Doo, trying to sell medicine at a time like this. But I still wanted the mayor to ask permission. Not that he could. The door banged open letting in a spray of rain as two colourful, unarmoured pegasi pushed into the crowded store. The stallion's screams began to weaken as Calamity jabbed him with a syringe full of painkiller and pushed the plunger slowly with a hoof. One by one, 
The other ponies turned to stare, their conversations dropping to hushed tones or dying away. In one corner, a wife continued to sob over her bloodily bandaged husband, but even she stole a look. I'm sure they brought her in here. The first Pegasus, a sunflower yellow mare with an excessively curly crimson mane and a smiling sun for a cutie mark, said before stopping, her eyes widening at the stares she was receiving. Behind her, a buck with a coat the colour of jade and a short cropped teal mane looked like he was about to drag her back out by her poofy tail. Are you crazy? He hissed, trying to keep his voice low, but it carried anyway. They're going to kill you. They've probably already killed her. For all you know, this is their kitchen. The mare gave a nervous smile, a bead of sweat falling from her forehead as she looked over the staring unicorn and earth ponies. She lifted a hoof in a timid wave as she threw a harsh whisper back at her companion. They can hear you. The amber mare next to me stomped and nickered. I'm rethinking that thing about how pegasuses are cool. The pegasus mare's eyes looked back and forth over the room before coming to a rest on a nearby bookshelf. School special. All pencils and notepads 50% off. She read softly before turning to her companion. Not a kitchen, unless you think they're offering a hearty school filly salad with a scrumptious pencil cobbler for dessert. I heard a few grudging chuckles. To me, the comment just brought up disquieting visions of Arbu. They're joking about eating fillies. The khaki buck breathed, appalled. They're joking about what they think we're like. The amber mare answered. At the door, the jade-coloured buck took the pegasus mare's mane in her teeth and gave her a tug. We need to go, he insisted with a stomp. The air's poisonous down here, remember? She'll be dead before she can fly again. Hell, we're probably already dead. I'm not dead yet, a weak voice called out. A white hoof raised in the air. I shifted to spot the wounded white pegasus. And according to my pitbuck, the air's not poisonous, tracker. Of course it's poisonous. The Jade Pegasus tracker spat back. You're using that wrong. You always have. They don't work when you don't wear them. Actually, I wanted to interject, feeling a moment of pride in my expertise. Radiation monitoring would still work, just like the radio. Although, admittedly, health monitoring wouldn't. My thoughts fell apart before the desire to go manifest as more than a vague wish. Between the medicine and my exhaustion, I was flirting with incoherency. If the air was poisonous, the Yellow Pegasus challenged, how come all these ponies are still alive? They've grown resistant to it. The buck shot back. Don't you ever listen to the science station? Their argument was interrupted by a rust-coloured pegasus in a black desperado hat. One, Calamity said authoritatively. There sure is shit of places where the air is poisonous. But this ain't one of them. And two, y'all can't go back anyway. So best be thankful for that. The buck's eyes widened in alarm then narrowed. The white pegasus gasped. What do you mean we can't go back? She wheezed. I've got to go back. These soldiers were attacking unarmed civilian ponies, elderly and foals, when my senator hears about this. When her what now? Calamity turned towards her, his expression gentle and a touch remorseful, but his voice firm. The enclave of Senyal down here reported it. Y'all were on the wrong side of a shutter flat and have interacted with the locals. Unofficially, y'all are contaminated. Calamity informed them sadly. Officially, y'all are probably dead already. Don't listen to him. By the weekend, the Enclave will have delivered condolences and new birth approval certificates to your families. Calamity continued. 
Sunglint. Morning frost. Don't listen. Tracker pushed forward. A few of the ambulatory New Appaloosans stood up and took a step towards him in response. He's a dashite. His words are all lies and infectious ideas. Calamity stared at Tracker, unwavering. Just trying to tell you like it is. Save you the heartache of trying to go back. You think I don't recognize you? Tracker accused. You're Deadshot Calamity. You murdered your troops and fled beneath the clouds to escape punishment. I've seen your wanted poster. Calamity sighed sadly, glancing back towards me as he muttered under his breath. History rewritten yet again. Looking back at the buck, my friend said reasonably, Believe what you want, but trust me when I say you don't want to be heading back. He looked at the two Pegasus mares. That won't end well for any of you. We've got to try. The white Pegasus with the incredible blue mane said as she held up her pit buck. I assume she was morning frost. I've got recordings here. I like her. The amber mare next to me stated, echoing the little surge in my own heart. Good girl. Are you saying you're innocent? Tracker sneered. Then why did you run? Calamity lowered his head and pulled on one of the straps on his battle saddle. The other straps became undone, and the whole battle saddle slid off to the floor. I don't deny that I'm a dashite, he said. Though the rest of that I take issue with. But then, if I escape justice, how'd you figure they branded me? Yeah, that don't make much sense, asserted the yellow mare. Sunglint, I presumed. Maybe the enclave lied. They can't lie to us, Tracker stated in a voice who used to state basic facts to slow children. They're the government. I sensed Calamity's desire to face her for radiating off him. This enclave, it didn't make sense to me. My own thoughts swam, clutching for an anchor. I realised it was past time to ask my friend about the ponies we were facing. But first, I needed sleep. More than that, I needed time to breathe, to mourn. My heart was bleeding from many deep wounds. Hurt tomorrow, help today. But today was tomorrow, wasn't it? I had lost track of the dialogue between the Pegasi. With Calamity amongst them, I felt like a poor friend to have done so. I tried to perk my ears and recapture the conversation. After they did nothing about that dragon, the citizens wouldn't stand with them to be passive about the Splendid Valley Massacre, Sunglint was saying. Can't ignore me. I'm a member of the party. Morning Frost insisted. Last time I followed you two anywhere, Tracker fretted sourly, with friends like you. I gave up, my ears plastering against my head. I lifted my gaze to the spinning fan that hung from the ceiling of absolutely everything and tried to let everything go. I could hurt today, couldn't I? Cry today, fight again tomorrow. The first tear stung my eye and then slipped free to roll down my cheek. I tried to blink it back. Not here. I should be alone. If you start crying, then I'll start crying. It'll be a whole messy crying thing. Her voice had sincerity behind it. I wasn't the only pony hurting, and not the only one trying to hide it. I gave her a weak smile. Steelhoofs always hid his pain, the little pony in my head reminded me. Steelhoofs was always silently strong for every pony. But that wasn't necessarily a good thing, was it? My soul felt like it was swimming in darkness, barely treading water. If I didn't let out the tears, I'd drown in them. Who are you, ponies? A voice on the far side of the room spoke out. Before any pony could answer, the avalanche started. 
You're the Enclave, right? Why are you all attacking us? Was that Celestia up there? Why'd you take her away? Some of the ponies were curious, more distraught. There was an ugly undertone building with each question. Now every pony just calm down, Calamity said loudly, raising a hoof. Ain't you one of them, Calamity? Some pony asked poisonously. Calamity stammered. Now y'all listen here. I heard a thud and a high-pitched yelp. It sounded like it came from the next room. Some pony in the crowd pointed towards me. Past me. Other ponies turned. The steadily raising voices petered out. Ditsy Doo was standing in the doorway. My heart soared just seeing her upright again. It was like she was her own little beam of sunlight. She looked weak, frail, like she wasn't quite standing on her own power. Her body canted slightly, making me suspect she was leaning on an invisible zebra. She was alive and awake. One of her eyes tilted upwards towards the ceiling fan, but the other stared at the ponies gathered in her shop. Slowly, she lowered her head, dropping her chalkboard, and then wrote on it, lifting it back up for every pony to see. Be nice. Absolutely everything reserves the right to buck out ponies who aren't nice. P.S. Healing supplies now for muffins later. Smiles are free. Every pony was quiet. Then the amber-coated mare, whose name I still hadn't learned, walked up to Ditsy Doo and gave her a hug. Within seconds, Ditsy Doo was surrounded by ponies, hugging her and professing their thanks and their relief at her recovery. So much so that an invisible zebra was no longer needed to hold her up, or nor even able to stand nearby. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can I get you anything? The young amber heroine offered. Soda? Squirrel on a stick? Anything? My first inclination was to decline, but on second thought... Water would be nice. Thank you. I watched the mare and her friend get up and push their way through the crowd of ponies who had come to see Ditsy Doo. The poor mare was mobbed. Ditsy Doo was alive. She wasn't healthy, even by any definition that applied to ghouls, but she was alive, and she would continue to live, probably even make a full recovery according to Candy. Probably. But there was also a good chance that she'd never regain full health. Never quite have the energy and vigour she used to. But she'd saved the town, saved her daughter, and performed a miracle. As prices went in the equestrian wasteland, this was a small one, easy to bear. You hanging on, little pip? Calamity asked me as he landed next to me. The answer was no, 
and we both knew it. So instead of lying, I asked, A senator? Calamity whinnied. I admire her courage, but it's suicide. The Inklave Skyguard will have standing orders to shoot him on sight. My friend grimaced in pain, to prevent him from spreading contagion, of course. I moaned, closing my eyes. I'm sorry. Can you convince them? I don't know, Calamity admitted, but I gotta try. Look, little pip, I need to take off for a bit. Railride is demanding our new Pegasus friends joining him in his office for polite questioning. I didn't like the sound of that. And I intend to be there with him the whole time, Calamity stated with a stomp, whether the male likes it or not. I weakly shifted a leg to touch his breast. Good. Keep them safe. I didn't really expect Railride to hurt them, but I suspect he wasn't above throwing them in jail for their own protection and I doubted his interrogation would remain friendly without Calamity present. What's a senator? I asked. Calamity tilted his hat back. Member of the Senate, low council. They make the policies. And the high council? Enforce the policies. They're the highest judges and generals. Calamity paused, looking at me. Lil Pip, is this really the best time? No, but I need to know. I need to understand. There had been a time I'd been thankful I didn't know about Pegasi politics, but that time was past. It passed when they started killing Wasteland Ponies. My friend frowned, closing his eyes. Folk down here don't have anything like the Enclave. It's not really an easy thing to explain, much less to someone who's lived her whole life in a stable. Railwright's going to want to know too. Yeah, I know. Calamity took a deep breath, bulwarking himself. Okay. I know this is going to sound bizarre to you, but bear with me. I nodded, listening. I shouldn't be doing this now. I was too tired, too frayed, and too full of butterscotch rum. Part of me felt like it was now or never, and part of me thought it might do calamity some good to explain this to a friend before having to help explain it to the mayor. Calamity was silent, his eyes shifting. I could tell he was looking for a place to start. You mentioned committees before? I suggested. Okay, yeah, the orange main Pegasus said, grasping that. The Enclave runs Pegasus government through committees. The councils are pretty much just large committees of ponies elected to make national decisions. The councils then appoint smaller committees to handle more localised or specialised. Ah, oh, hell, mostly it just means nothing ever gets done. I was already confused. So the Enclave, is it the country, the military or the government? Calamity laughed wearily shaking his head. Oh, hell. Flicking his tail, he momentarily backed up. Okay, the Enclave is, well, it's not the country. All Pegasi citizens, whether they're part of the Enclave or not. All Pegasi get to vote for who they want to represent their cities in the Low Council and who they want to serve on the High Council. It's just that only members of the Enclave are allowed to run for government positions. And how does a Pegasus become a member of the Enclave? Oh, shucks, little pip. That's easy. Calamity smirked. They enlist. So, only ponies who served in the military were qualified for government. I tried to wrap my brain around that, but it made my head spin. The Enclave grew out of an isolationist movement, Pegasi not wanting to fight in the war. Hell, I figure they reckon any pony who can survive three years of military education and three months of basic training with my father has the far to shoot to help run the country. Ew. 
The Enclave was quickly ascending to the top of my list of things that made my head hurt, and it had already surpassed rock farming and was working on overtaking train engines. How do you even have a military when there hasn't been a war in 200 years? I blurted, trying to sort through my confusion. Oh, there have been little skirmishes, Calamity noted. The draft to take the Griffin Scars was back on radar's time, but mostly the military acted in internal security and cloud curtain patrol. I shook my head. I still don't get it. Who is your overmare then? Flashing back to Stable 24, I added, Or over Stallion, if that's what you have. This was a government, a country. Some pony had to be in charge. Some pony had to be the princess. Calamity let out a long sigh. There isn't one, little pip. That's the point. I scrunched up my forehead, trying to comprehend that, but it went against everything I knew about how communities were run. The idea of the council sounded a little like Friendship City, but so massive and convoluted that I couldn't build a frame around it. Calamity glanced over his wings towards the door. Railwright was prodding the two ambulatory pegasi out, whilst Leto stood by Morning Frost's cot. Lil Pip, I gotta go. I waved him away. Go help them. As best you can, my friend. Calamity rotated, flapping his wings and lifting into the air. The breeze from his wings cooled me. Calamity? I called up to him as he began to move. He stopped, looking back at me. We'll fix this. I assured him again. At his pained expression, I admitted, You're right. We can't fix dead, but we can make their deaths meaningful. How, little Pip? I don't know, I admitted. Yet, but I promise we will. We can make this part of something better. Something worth dying for. Calamity smiled. It was a thin smile, but with genuine warmth. I'm going to hold you to that. I smiled to him. My first friend. Thank you. Calamity glanced towards the door. Railwright, Tracker and Sunglint had already left. Stiletto was having some difficulty getting Morning Frost manoeuvred around the other cots. I watched as Calamity's gaze travelled from cot to cot. The elderly buck who had lost his leg was in here. A colt, his body wrapped in blood-stained bandages. A victim of shrapnel, who's crying into his mother's breast. One of the ragged pieces of explosion thrown debris had slashed through his cutie mark. Less than a week old. The stallion, three cots away, was sleeping, heavily sedated. His wife had been in the street that the enclave hosed with burning plasma. She was probably one of the burning ponies I'd shot out of mercy. The stallion had injured himself badly trying to get close to her, but his burns were less painful than the anguish of seeing the pony he loved screaming in agony, engulfed in plasma fire, of having that image seared into his mind as his last memory of her. For once, I was the least wounded person in the room. But what do we do until then? I bit my lower lip, my body trembling. I could sense the tears coming, but I tried to fight them back. Not here. Not now. We do what steel hooves would do, I said. We soldier on. As he left, I stared once again at the ceiling fan, my mind spinning just like its blades. We soldier on, until we can find a way to make this right, to make things better. We endure. We persevere. We keep helping ponies however we can. It's what steel hooves would have done. I've got your water. The Amber Mare's voice rang out as he trotted towards me. I felt the soft impact of the canteen on my chest. 
the pop and the hiss as she opened a bottle of sunrise sarsaparilla for herself. The sound caused a memory to flash through my head. Are we on a date? A memory of steel hooves. Oh, goddess, as I missed steel hooves. And with that, the floodgates blew open. It didn't matter where I was or who was around me. I curled up and began to cry. Deep, wrenching sobs for how much Velvet Remedy was hurting and calamity for Ditsy Doo, who had nearly died. I sobbed for the husband who had lost his wife, the old buck who had lost his leg, the town who had lost the joy of sunlight to bloody battle. I wept for the little filly whose ashes I kept in a cola bottle and for Star Sparkle. But most of all, I cried for steel hooves. Swiftly exhausted, Dixie Doo had moved upstairs with Pylite, leaving Silverbell to mind the store and her griffin bodyguard to mind Silverbell and make sure no pony wandered upstairs after her. While everypony else was preoccupied, Zenith tugged my cot into Ditsy's room, giving me a bit of peace and privacy. Cry today. Rest today. Fight again tomorrow. I had wept for hours. Zenith was keeping vigilant guard at the door. Her efforts primarily needed to keep the three young heroes from barging in to try and help. I didn't want or need help. I wanted to cry some more. I needed to sleep. I was out of tears. My body was exhausted, my mind incoherent. Still, I couldn't fall asleep. I was too tired to sleep. The gears in my mind had become detached, spinning free. They whirled in my head at the speed of thought, producing nothing. So many lives were on a razor blade. So many would die while I slept. Red eye in the enclave. There was so much to do. Too much for my brain to grasp it. I needed a way to make it right. To make it all matter. I needed to focus. Believing that if I could just corral my thoughts, railroad them, then maybe I could finally rest. But my thoughts did not want to go to happy places. Instead, they returned again and again to Splendid Valley and that little place just beyond its rim. My memories fixed on the sensation of being floated out of the safe room, the super alicorn pulling me to safety. Daisy Doo had found me. Twilight Sparkle had saved me. At least, I really wanted to believe. She'd stared at my saddlebags. I hadn't really noticed it then, but I recalled that now. She'd seemed fixated on them. In a rush, I suddenly yet absolutely knew that it was Twilight Sparkle, or at least what was left of her, riding that alicorn controlling it, and I knew how she had found me. Be strong, be pleasant, be unwavering, be awesome. She hadn't been saving me. I found myself doubting that what was left of Twilight Sparkle even realised I was there. She was saving her friends, saving them from a fate that was literally her own. Or maybe she had just sensed herself, and, in the grip of that nightmarish deja vu, she had come to her own rescue. I couldn't be sure. My thoughts slid into more jumbled memories at the sound of erupting earth. Did you find anything this time? Calamity's voice rang in my thoughts as I pictured Steelhoof's head rolling away from his body. I choked, forcing my mind away, only to have that scene replaced in my mind's eye by Velvet Remedy clinging to Calamity, sobbing. We fight and hurt and bleed to try to make Equestria better, but you can't stop something until you take away its reason for being that way. I couldn't stop the raiders. They were born of the horror and the harshness of the wasteland. 
All I could do was keep killing them until I drowned in their blood. History's greatest mass murderer. Red Eye, the Enclave. Red Eye claimed he was going to remove himself from the equation. As strange or foolish as it might seem, I believed him. He was an honourable bastard of sorts. But the Enclave... How could I stop something as mighty as a whole army, a whole government, if I understood about half of what I thought I did about them? Only time they can act as one is when they're feeling threatened. Gah! I just wanted to sleep. I was going to go crazy. Surprisingly, I found myself thinking of Rainbow Dash, and remembering the rings of crackling and electrified smoke fanning out over the table map of Equestria. That would stop rain. I decided after the contrails of the Wonderbolts. Rainbow Dash had boasted. Everything about this single Pegasus project goes through me, and it doesn't get my hoof of approval unless it's cool. Start. I wasn't sure why, but my mind caught on that word. Start. I could hear the metallic drumming of the rain on the roof of absolutely everything. Start. The store shook at the rumble of overhead thunder. The towers could start the rain, equestria-wide if they were ordered to. That meant they could also stop the rain, make it a sunny day, equestria-wide. I felt the gears on my head fitting back into place in a new configuration, a new mental machine building a new picture. Agriculture, you silly corn! Radar had stated. Without the towers, the Enclave falls. The only way to stop the Enclave, to save equestria, was to take control of the cloud curtain, peel it back, give sunlight once again to Equestria. Not only would that break their power, it would reveal their lies and show the Pegasi what was really going on down here. That was what the Enclave feared, and for a good reason. If the Cloud Curtain was lost, it wouldn't just destroy the Enclave, it would force the Pegasi to return to the surface. They would no longer be able to sustain themselves. Ultimately, it was all about agriculture. The Pegasi would either reunite with the Earth Ponies and the Unicorns, or try to invade. Judging by the three Pegasi I had seen today, and trusting Calamity's word, most of them would want to help. Even so, it could get really ugly really fast. Red Eye, however, probably considered that acceptable. He had plans for a massive agricultural base in the Everfree Forest, but that was years away from being a reality. Until that... Ponykind would still be struggling to survive on remaining scraps, and who knew if they would be enough. But there was something else, one other chance that Red Eye didn't know about. It wouldn't take an army to stop the Enclave, just one pony. One expendable pony. A pony who wasn't necessary to make things right again. You've never been forced to give your principles for the greater good, Red Eye had once told me. To sacrifice yourself and become a monster because it was the right thing to do. Suddenly, I knew. I knew my purpose. Bringing back the sun. Rings of crackling electrified smoke, the pony in my head pondered. But what about when the towers stopped the rain and cleared away the clouds? What would that look like? Not the same. Same is boring, Rainbow Dash had said. At least she had in my dream. Calamity's words echoed the thought in my head. Well, there's only one way to clear an area that big that fast, and that's with a sonic rain boom. Despite my overwhelming weariness, I bolted upright. Sunshine and rainbows. I'll be damned.
Somewhere in the other room, a rush of excited voices rose and fell, followed by some pony turning up Ditsy Doo's radio loud enough to distort the voice of DJ Pone 3. Back, children, but not for long. So there's a few things I've got to tell you about. First, our hearts and prayers go out to the folks of Friendship City and every pony who had relatives there. Late yesterday, in their most horrific attack yet, that airborne plague calling themselves the Enclave brutally slaughtered Friendship City. The city's gone, children. Hundreds of ponies dead. If you don't believe me before, believe me now. The Enclave ain't here to save any pony. They ain't our friends. But I'm not bringing you a dark cloud without a silver lining. Now here's the good news. The ponies of the equestrian wasteland are standing up against them. And I'm not just talking about our bringer of light, although she's been right in the thick of it. When the Enclave came for Friendship City, she struck back at them. Thanks to our wasteland heroine, the Enclave lost everything they threw at Friendship City. And more importantly, a couple hundred ponies survived that attack. But she ain't the only hero standing strong against the Enclave. Remember those renegade steel ranger outcasts I told you about? Well, they call themselves the Applejacks Rangers now. And even as I speak, the Applejacks Rangers are working round the clock to ferry survivors off Friendship Island, protecting them on their way to new homes. Where can they find new homes, you might ask? The answer is, everywhere they go. Even that normally stuffy Tempony Tower has opened its doors to refugees. After a hoofful of unicorns rose up and kicked the Enclave's sorry tails out of their tower. Yay-haw! Scarf of the good ponies! And I've got reports coming in. Heroes all the way from Shouted Hoof to Hoofington have be holding the line against their nightmares from above. I have a tale here of two such heroes taking down one of those warships just out of Stalingrad. Left a calling card. Lion and Mouse. Well, tell you what, Lion and Mouse. Drop by Tempony Tower sometime, soon as my assistant is back from her vacation. I'd love to have her sit down with you for an interview. And to the griffins and ponies who fought off the enclave at Shattered Hoof. Damn fine work. But the biggest strike against the enclave has come from none other than our beloved author of the Wasteland Survival Guide, Ditsy Doo. You all saw it. Hell, I could see that glow all the way from Shattered Hoof Ridge. We don't even have a name for what the Wasteland's favourite Pegasus has managed to do this morning. Sonic Radboom? Toxic Rainboom? Well, whatever you call it... I call that a miracle. So do I, love. Now, don't worry, children. I know I just kind of let my location slip. But the Enclave already knew. I saw a whole murder of them flying this way over the tower monitors before I even started broadcasting. They'll be out the door any moment. And I don't even think they plan on inviting me to tea. (laughs) But don't worry about me. I'm not a fighter. Never really have been. Not even when I was a wasteland explorer. I was more of a hacker and repair pony myself. Fixing things up, building off of schematics, making the technologies of magic and the old world work for me. I can barely shoot a gun, but that doesn't mean I'm going to lay down and let them take me. Any chance of sleeping evaporated at those words. I lay in my cot, my nerves crackling, anxiously straining to hear every word, every background sound that came over that radio. It took me a moment to remember my own ear bloom and tune into the broadcast on my own pitbuck leg thing. So, two things before I leave you again. First, I want to dedicate this broadcast to the late Elder Steelhooves, founder of the Applejacks Rangers. I know, with all the death we've seen, it might seem odd to single one pony out, but Steelhooves wasn't just a pony. Steelhooves was a hero, a protector of ponies. He put his life on the line saving others, and he inspired other ponies to do the same. 
a whole legion within the Steel Rangers broke away to follow his example. Steel Hooves was a companion to our Wasteland heroine as well. She was stronger with him at her side. Her victories were often his victories as well. When I first met Steel Hooves, he was making sure Chief Grimstar died a hero in the eyes of the ponies under his care. I came to know him fairly well over the last few weeks. Of course she had. She'd seen my memories. Now I'll tell you the truth. Steelhoofs was not without his flaws. He was not always a good pony. He meted out justice as he saw fit, and I did not always agree with who he chose to play judge and executioner. But that is the harsh law of the equestrian wasteland. But he never faltered. He held true to his love and his principles, fighting until the day he died. Steelhoofs had lived an impossibly long life. His death was swift, painless, and in battle. It was the death I believe he would have wanted. And now it is our turn to hold true, to fight, and to never falter. Tears trickled down my cheeks. I was weeping again. And with that, children, I have a confession to make. This broadcast is not exactly live. And I have a message for the black-armoured soldiers who just burst into the station of the Shattertooth Ridge Tower. That thing you're looking at with the glowing blue light... A little homebrewed surprise rigged to a spark battery from a weapon made by the motherfucking stars. Farewell, you... The broadcast cut off with an abrupt blast of static. It wasn't replaced by Enclave Radio. The airwaves just went dead silent. and remained so for the longest ten minutes the equestrian wasteland has ever experienced. From the cot in Ditsy Doo's room, I had only the darkness and Amarja's words to hold me. I could not know that my love had struck the deepest, most vital blow to the Enclave yet. I did not realise that Amarge had pulled the entire power supply from that alien weapon and rigged it to a bomb. I did not see the brilliant blue explosion that obliterated more than just the base station and the dozen heavily armoured Pegasi inside. For 200 years, the nearly 50 towers of the single Pegasus project had stood, impervious to everything the enemy and the wasteland could throw at them. I was not a witness to that snow-swept ridge as one of those towers cracked, shifted, and came tumbling down. I awoke, disoriented by the sense of having lost time. I didn't remember falling asleep, but my body was rested. I could get up, walk around again, and I did so. The metallic pattering of the rain sizzled in the air above me. The ghosts of dreams returned to me, faded and fragmented. Dreams of sunshine and sonic rad booms. I was hungry and thirsty. I had a slight headache and I needed to relieve myself. Stumbling into the store, I was surprised to find it devoid of medical cots. Instead, the store had been taken over by griffins. Outside, thunder rumbled. Gordonia Grimfeathers was talking to Ditsy Doo's bodyguard. There were two smaller griffins present. Adolescents, if I was sizing them up right. Similar enough in build and stature to make me suspect they were twins. One of them was talking to Calamity, a discussion that seemed to focus on a pair of odd pistols she carried in holsters strapped to her breast. She had one of them out and open, holding it carefully in her talons for Calamity's inspecting eye. The griffin was of similar build to Gord, but slimmer, and would definitely be appealing if it weren't for the suspicion that she was at least five years younger than me. I could tell she'd grow up to be very pretty if the wasteland let her. The other griffin was leaning against the shop counter, a bemused expression on his beak as Silverball tried to sell him one random item after another. He had apparently already bought an iron, 
three billiard balls and an empty tin can just to keep the little filly happy. Ditty Doo was hovering over her workbench, literally, working on something that looked a lot like my Cantalot police barding. At my appearance, she scooped up the barding, taking a chalkboard in her mouth and fluttered over to me. The Gulpeggers offered me the barding. It was indeed my armour, but Ditsy had repaired and reinforced it, making it stronger and more protective than before. Her chalkboard read, It was looking a bit shot up. I blushed. Thanks! How much do I owe you? Daisy Doo seemed to laugh. She set down the chalkboard, rubbing it clean with a hoof, and then wrote, No charge. The Wasteland heroine wears armour by Ditsy Doo. You're good advertisement. The girl smiled at me. The smile was grim, showing too many teeth and too much of her gums. But I felt the warmth of it. She wanted to help. The advertising was an excuse. I threw my forehooves around her, giving the ghoul a squishy hug. She tensed just a moment, and then hugged back, squishily. You're a good friend, I whispered to her. And a good pony. One of the best this world has to offer. Thank you. She pulled back and looked at me oddly, and then shook her head and pointed a hoof at my chest. My guess that either she was saying, not me, you. Either that, or she was starting an impromptu game of tag. Before I could respond, Silverbell ran up, her little horn glowing with a faint silver light as she floated a small pile of bottle caps up to Ditsy Doo. Look, Mummy, I made a sail! A gentle crystalline melody, like the chiming of a dozen silver bells, wafted through the store. Calamity approached me, followed by the young griffin woman with the pistols. Lil Pip, you're awake! Part of me wanted to run to him and tell him I had a plan, that I somehow had an epiphany and I knew just what we needed to do. What I needed to do. It wouldn't make anything right, but it would be a massive start. But I wasn't ready yet. I needed more information. I needed to know how the Enclave was going to react to what happened here, to what Ditsy Doo had done. I really needed to pee. How long was I out? I asked, noticing a lack of light through the windows. The store shook slightly with another rolling percussion of thunder. The thudding in my head grew a little worse. About twelve hours, Calamity admitted. Most of a day. I needed to take care of things. I needed to borrow a bathroom and maybe some painkillers. But before I could excuse myself to take care of either, Calamity wrapped a wing around me and ushered me towards the two younger griffins. You'll never guess who. Um, I said uncomfortably. Lil Pip, this is Cage and Reggie, he said, pointing to the male griffin first. He smiled wryly as he put his newly purchased tin can into his saddlebags. Cage, Reggie, this is Lil Pip. I lifted a hoof in a timid wave. Bringer of light and the heroine of the wastelands. My hoof dropped as my face went red. I hated Clumpty so much right then. I'd say old Derpy did more light bringing today than you, Lil Pip. Cage chuckled, offering a set of talons. I hesitated feeling both embarrassed and vaguely offended to hear someone other than a small cult use that nickname, even though Calamity once told me she found it endearing. I lifted my hoof and he shook it with merciful gentleness, a good thing since his talons were painfully sharp even in a gentle grasp. I drew my hoof back, checking for spots of blood, sure he could have taken my hoof off if he had wanted to. I shifted my attention to the pretty young griffin, extending my hoof with a slight wince. I felt myself blushing slightly more, Cage and Regina Grimfeathers. Calamity whispered into my ear. I froze. My jaw dropped open. Yeah, that's right. Reggie smirked. 
I could see Cage already rolling his eyes. We're the children of God. God had kids. The little pony in my head started running around in circles, protesting, I was not checking out your daughter. I was not checking out your daughter. My gaze shifted to Gordnia, who was now talking to both Ditsy and the other Griffin. Ditsy Doo was holding up one of her chalkboards. I couldn't see the writing, and God was answering, Well, I can't rightly go charging the town for protection if we don't show up to protect it, now can I? Gordnia is running a protection racket on New Appaloosa that comes with actual protection. The little pony in my head chuckled affectionately. That is so Gordnia, loyal to the contract. Of course I hadn't been looking at Regina like that. She was a little young for me, not to mention she was a griffin. God's a griffin, my little pony pointed out. Okay, sure. I'd once found Gordnia to be fanciable for a griffin, but that was before a marge, and I was really lonely. My eyes took in the griffin, as if trying to assure myself that she was just a passing fancy. Yes, she is strong and beautifully built, and the scars really add to her presence. And apparently, I really like older mares, the pony my head taunted. But Gordnia didn't look old. First velvet, my little pony jabbed. Now mummy griffin? I wanted that little pony to shut up so badly. Gordnia wasn't old. Adult, yes. But, wait, did she have them when she was three? Not old. She still looked vigorous and built and... Did I just have no sense of age when it came to griffins? Oh my god! Reggie exclaimed loudly, taking her mother's name in vain like only a teenager could. Little Pip's hot for mother! Luna's moaning moon heat. The burning in my cheeks exploded over my entire body. What? No, I... but... I saw Gordnia looking back at me. Her eyebrow lifted high over her good eye. Gah! I collapsed on the floor in pure embarrassment, trying to bury my head under my hooves. Kill me now. And here I was going to say your boyfriend was waiting for you outside. Gord called over to me, mercifully giving me the excuse to dash out into the rain like I was being pursued by a pack of hellhounds. I leaned against the train engine that made up the hodgepodge of construction of absolutely everything. It was the dark, dead hours of the early morning, that hour where the darkness lays most heavily on the soul and the hungry monsters outside claw at your door. Rain poured down, turning the streets into rivers, washing of radiation and the blood. The lights of New Appaloosa cut beams through the rainfall, making the falling water shimmer and shine in the blackness. Water spilled from rooftops and gurgled down gutters to splash into overfilled rain barrels. I was quickly soaked to the bone. No pony was outside. My utter devastating humiliation took a backseat to the need to pee. I trotted around the side of a building, glancing around to make sure I wasn't watched, and started to relieve myself into a streamlet. Hello, little pip. A voice said from absolutely nowhere and about two yards in front of me. I jumped up, my heart trying to leap out of my chest. Embarrassment, annoyance and shock fought each other for dominance as I recognised the mechanical voice of Watcher. Oh, sorry. I'll just be over here. A little late now! I grumble shouted. Damn it. I should have used my eyes forward sparkle to check the area. With a deep sigh, I brought up my EFS and located the sprite bot. Are you alright? I asked. Might as well talk with him. It wasn't like I was going to be able to finish after that anyway. 
Me, yes, but... Watcher sounded hesitant. I wanted to make sure you were okay. And guilty. Are you? There were so many ways to answer that that should have been no. But instead, I chose to cut to the chase. What's wrong? Watcher was silent for a minute, the sprite bot bobbing in the rain. I goofed up, little pip. My mind strained trying to imagine a huge, ferocious dragon saying the word goofed. But this was Spike. I've put you in danger. I closed my eyes. Danger wasn't exactly new. What happened? Somewhere behind me, I heard a door open and close. Lil Pip? Calamity called into the night. I lifted a hoof, motioning for Watcher to hold his thought. Over here! I called to Calamity. The sprite bot waited silently until Calamity trotted up next to me, his hoof splashing in the streamlet that I'd been using a couple of minutes ago. The Enclave has security footage of you guys in the Ministry of Awesome, and High General Harbringer managed to get a transmission out of Maripone before it went up. They've put two and two together. Not exactly unexpected. And was I the only pony who found it exasperatingly wrong that High General was an elected position? Watcher continued. The Enclave has sent their best hit squad after you and your friends. Oh, hell, Calamity moaned. Who? I asked. The Wonderbolts. Watcher informed us. I blinked. Wait, who? The Enclave had named their best pack of hunters the Wonderbolts? There was something in my heart that wanted to kick their asses just for using that name. That is so wrong! It gets worse. Watcher admitted. One of the Enclave Skyguard ponies who saw you two in my cave was a junior member of the Wonderbolts. He recognised you, Calamity. They came to my cave. Gutshot, Calamity muttered. I remembered the Pegasus. That's Deadshot Calamity, winner of the best young sharpshooter competition four years running. You don't forget the pony who beat you. One of the Wonderbolts, I so wanted to awesomely stomp them, was second only to Calamity as a sharpshooter, and Calamity never missed. My eyes widened in sudden alarm. Spike! I gasped, forgetting myself. Your cave, did they? No, 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 please don't tell me the enclave destroyed the gardens of Equestria. It's safe. Spike said through the spike bot, filling me with relief. But, well, you understand why I had to get them out of there as quickly as possible, don't you? His voice, even though synthetically manufactured, still managed to sound plaintive. Calamity exhaled a long sigh. What did you tell him? And I've never been very good at being interrogated. Spike continued. What did you tell him? Calamity said sternly. Nothing much, really, just... Spike paused as if stealing himself. I told them you had been in ironshot firearms. Calamity blinked. Huh? Old weapons factory, I told him. I met Watcher outside of it once, a long time ago. I asserted, even as I realised that it wasn't all that long ago. Two months. But those two months had been a lifetime. Before I met you. Okay, Calamity pondered. Then, I don't get it. So what? I knew what Spike was worried about, my mind flashing back to when I learned that the Steel Rangers were after Stable 2, and my fears that it was somehow my fault. When I'd hacked the door of Stable 29, 
I'd left something behind. And I was a lot less careful or experienced back at Ironshot Firearms. I'd hacked into that office computer like a careless amateur, left my virtual hoofprints all over it. How technically proficient are the Wonderbolts? I asked slowly. Clamty frowned, shifting his position. Depends. He took a deep breath and addressed the spite bot. Do the Wonderbolts still have windshear and lens flare? Who? I questioned, figuring they were names I might need to know. Clamty rustled his wings. Windshear's my eldest brother, the rust-coloured Pegasus told me, adding, Dad's favourite, Master of Communications Technologies, top of his class, graduated with honours, made corporal, member of the Wonderbolts. He shook his head. Only one of us Dad ever seemed to approve of. But then, why wouldn't he be Dad's favourite? I winced. And lens flare? Winchia's best friend, rival, and occasional lover, Calamity said. Expert repair pony, special when it comes to magical energy weapons. Taught me a few tricks I used to build the Nova Surge rifles and my Enclave armor. Also, top of his class, focusing on Carnotech. Crap. We are in trouble. First and foremost, how would we go to war against Calamity's big brother? Then again, considering what I'd seen of his family so far, pummeling the buck might be highly therapeutic. Windshear left the Wonderbolt several years ago. Watcher told us, immediately making me feel much better about the situation. Followed other promotions according to the press release. Press release? I questioned. Calamity leaned in close and whispered, The Wonderbolts are the stars of the Enclave. Spend as much time putting on shows of patriotism events as they do actually hunting. He added, Probably more. Celebrities, the best hunter-killer pack of the Enclave. They tracked down and murdered ponies for a living, and they had fans. They put on shows. Ponies lined up for their autographs. There were press releases whenever they had a roster change. How fucked up was that? But Lensflare is still with them. He was one of the Pegsai who visited my cave yesterday. My face fell. We were dead. Calamity saw my expression. Lil Pip? They can get my tag from the computer and I shot firearms. I told him. My voice resigned. And as soon as they do, they'll be able to use their armor to locate me no matter where I go. I'm sorry, little Pip. Spike said remorsefully. But you can just take your pickbuck off, right? Lead them astray? I lifted my foreleg, showing the sprite bot how my pitbuck had become grossly melded into my body. Watcher had the wits to say nothing. I could cut my leg off, I thought aloud. I might even regrow it. Or I could just leave, draw them away. I looked at Calamity. Keep you safe. Oh, hell no. Calamity gave a stomp. Nothing doing, little Pip. We stick together. But? But nothing. Calamity stared sternly, and then he smiled. Besides, I've got myself a plan. Calamity grinned poking my nose with a hoof. Trust me, Lil Bait. This wasn't going to end well. Footnote. Maximum level. Hoorah! You go, Ditty Do! Best damn Pegasus in the entire wasteland. I'd have loved to have seen that Sonic Radboom with my own eyes. Never mind that, though, because it seems little Pip has started working herself out. Glad for her. 
Though I don't think I like where it's going. Guess we'll see come the next few chapters. I must say, I just want the whole party back together. I'm missing Velvet already. Music time. Here's the Wasteland Whalers with On Our Own. Enjoy, people! It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.